Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. And hello once again, everybody. Tom Block and Keith Jones. A uh, happy Veterans Day to you and yours. And a uh, tip of the cap and a big thank you to the many men and women who have served and continue to serve on uh, our behalf. KJ, how are you? Doing well. Doing well. And uh, echo those same sentiments. Exactly. We find ourselves in an interesting uh, place right now as we just jump right into the college football season. Uh, because we haven't been here in a couple of years. You know, you kind of get used to every game uh, matters big picture. And uh, which is not to say the games remaining for Florida State don't matter. But when uh, suddenly you have two losses, you're not in the ACC championship game. Hasn't been that way for a couple of years. Got a couple of questions on Sunday uh, at church that I don't don't normally get. Well, what bowl game do you think we might be going to? Well, we hadn't had to worry about that in the last couple of years. You yeah. knew where you were going if you won out and did certain things. So um, and in answer to the question, I have no idea. Well, we can talk about that a little bit. I have some um ideas but it, nothing would be definitive the r- bigger question for you kj would you and then we'll uh we'll get into this and break it down would you would you rather lose 35 to 10 on the road and and not you know be sleepless at night thinking about the what ifs and the one play here and there or would you rather be in the game toe-to-toe right at the end in the game toe-to-toe right to the end uh, and i've never liked blowouts uh, unless I was on the blowing end, if that's the proper way of saying it. <laughs> I'm not sure that is, but you just said it that way. <laughs> All right, uh, let me segue real Let's quick. Let's go back I, to I, PG. We'll come back in a minute to that. I will remind you that this portion of the program is brought to you by Madison Social. Uh, always a great time. Uh, I know uh, they, they probably had a great crowd today uh, uh, with the Veterans Day Parade and everybody, uh, not everybody, but lots of people out from work and heading down there. Uh, always a good time. I invite you to head out there this week. They've, they've gotten uh, to where they They've had to perfect the Bloody Marys and mimosas because we keep having these 1230 kicks or early starts as we do this weekend. So same drill this weekend for homecoming. Uh, If you're coming back to Tallahassee, uh, uh, make sure, especially if you haven't been here in a while, that you uh, head over to Madison Social. Great place to enjoy uh, food, drink, atmosphere, and uh, general FSU. When, When did you have your first mimosa? Not a drink that was real popular in Wildwood, I might add. I I don't know a calendar date. I mean, I could probably do math and come up with an approximation. Why does it matter? I, it doesn't. It's just I just like saying mimosa. Okay. Well, there we go. So head to Madison Social. All right. Now let's get back. We're done. Uh, we we dialed it back to PG version of the show. Uh, let's go back to this game. So, I, you know, overall, I think most expected that, that Clemson was the better team and would probably win. Now that the game's played out, uh, it really was there for the taking in the fourth quarter driving. You got third in a yard, fourth in a yard. You don't convert. If you do, now granted, you would have had to make some more plays, but, you know, you've got about 35, 40 yards to the end zone. You can milk the clock. Potentially, you're taking the lead on Clemson with about two minutes to go. Everything was ripe for Florida State to be victorious. You score uh, on the second play of the ball game. That takes the crowd out for basically the first half. Uh, they regrouped, did the Clemson faithful at halftime. Uh, at the end of the day, Clemson did the things they needed to do. They ran, what, 26 more offensive plays than Florida State did, i.e. wearing down the FSU defense there at the end. Um, they didn't make the big mistakes. Florida State had uh, some continuing issues with pre-snap penalties on the offensive side. But I think, you know, if you go all the way back, the the real big picture, when we were talking amongst ourselves in July and August, you know, what, what did we think this season would hold? You know, 9-3, and three, pretty solid, 10-2, and two, maybe if you got a break or two, well, you're right on track. Uh, you know, you should win the game Saturday against NC State. You obviously should be heavily favored against Chattanooga. And then you go into the Florida game, a rivalry game, that you've got a chance to win regardless of anybody's record. And we'd be... At the end of the day, right where we thought we would be at the beginning of the day, just didn't think it would be a close loss to Georgia Tech and, and, a, and a moderately close loss to Clemson, but you didn't know what that would be. Uh, so in big picture, I think we're right where we expected to be, and, and uh, I guess the positive part is – you know, you do something a little something a little different, you win the Tech game, you do a couple of things a little different, you win the Clemson game. We're that close, but we're not there. Why is this team offensively so abysmal on the road? 
twofold. Number one, uh, it's a product of youth. Uh, young kids play better at home than they do on the road. Uh, I don't know the whys. I just know the whats. The other thing, and this is a criticism of Jimbo and his staff, I don't think that they've done a very good job of getting this squad ready to play in hostile environments. When you get into a situation like Clemson, and and as it turned out, like Georgia Tech, which was a little unexpected, but nevertheless a problem from a noise standpoint, you've got to go with a silent count. You've got to be a little more quick in getting your plays in and getting plays communicated. How you do that is you do it at your home games, or you do that at Wake Forest, or you do that at Boston College. In other words, you say, first two series of the second half, we're going silent count, even though we don't have to. We're going to do it in game situations so that when we do have to do it in Atlanta and Clemson, we're prepared for it. I don't think the coaching staff did a good enough job of preparing these young kids for having to deal with the communication issues relative to uh, these environments. You can bring in all the speakers you want. You can do all the things in practice and during the practice week. But doing it live with live bullets is the only way that you hone it in with young kids. That would be my criticism and my answer as to why Florida State has not performed well on the road. Is it possible that – you know, they tried it and the kids just didn't pick it up. That's always possible, but I haven't I mean, I haven't heard anybody say that. Obviously, the coaching staff is not going to say that because you're throwing the kids under the bus. Jimbo in particular uh, would never do that. But I haven't heard rumblings of that. You may have. You were on the sidelines. You may know better than I, uh, but that's my take on why it is. You, you may know differently. Well, no, I, it's not that I know differently. I don't have the perspective on pick any random year. You know, when they're on the road in a non-hostile environment, are they typically going, you know, a couple series in the second half on a silent count just so that you're ready? Well, is the, it something you would do more because you have so many young players it, this It's year? something you should do more because right. you have young players in anticipation of this maybe being a problem. The other the other point that goes with that is that they've started nine different, different offensive linemen. And so, like, if you look at the Georgia Tech game and compare it to Clemson, you had Hofeld and Golson. And this week you had Eberly and McGuire, and I'd have to look and see yep, there's all who, who was the guard that was yep. tapping the center to snap the ball, you know, because those combinations have changed the, too. The, the, what, what, what do we call them from high school? Permutations and combinations and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there are some complicating factors. There's no question. So, so the criticism is not, you know, fire the coach, coaching staff. They're all a bunch of bums. The, the criticism is just that it is a criticism. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but that's something that needs to be worked on, particularly because you're playing in Florida, and then that place can get pretty loud in its own right. Yeah, I think uh, one of the macro questions involves the quarterback, and it's not micro specific to the Clemson game, i.e., the folks that think, well, if they'd have played Golson, they'd have beat Clemson, because I don't, I don't subscribe to that theory. But if you'd played McGuire all year, would he have been? better adept at throwing the ball away, not taking that sack, not taking the intentional grounding, certainly not the pick in the red zone, or is that a moot point too and it all could have played out the same? I think there is some legitimacy that a McGuire that had taken 300 snaps would be different than the McGuire that had taken 75 or 80 or whatever the snap count was at that particular time specifically referencing the the interception i think there's some legitimacy in that train of thought um but i think the bigger picture for me uh is i don't think jimbo is confident enough in either golson or mcguire to call some of the plays that need to be called i was very disappointed that florida state uh, didn't try to exploit the middle of the field a little more in the passing game. And I'm, I know we threw the ball down the field a couple times and there was some overthrows, but uh, the, the one uh, reception by Izzo in the middle when he made a very nice catch, I would have liked to have seen some crossing routes, some deeper crossing routes, and, and some skinny posts and things like that. Not not the quick post, but the skinny post inside and see if you couldn't get behind that linebacker and in front of that safety and that Clemson defense uh, it was a little different scheme than Syracuse ran, but you remember the success that Florida State had on the long ball with Syracuse against Clemson. you got to go to the same part of the field, but a little more intermediate. I think there were some opportunities there that I wish Jimbo had, had either tried to direct some plays to. And again, Jimbo's response to that may be, well, we had it called, but McGuire didn't go there. We don't know that until you sit down individually and go through play by play that that's the only thing that I think uh, you know I would put on that quarterback situation is that uh, Jimbo might need to force himself to call some more intermediate plays and just take some chances whether it's McGuire or Golson at quarterback 
sidebar, and then we'll uh, take a break. We'll bring Tim Linnefeld on and continue this FSU discussion. Uh, separate the result of the game, uh, Dalvin Cook's a pretty good running back. I'm not sure if you've noticed this. 12 yards away from the uh, all-time season high uh, through nine games. Um, he is not 100% despite what others would like to say. And there's two parts to that. Number one, burst, and number two, speed. He's got his burst back, but he doesn't have that last gear, that top gear. Uh, whether he's doing it intentionally or subconsciously, he doesn't get run down. Even if he's slowing down, he doesn't get run down by a Clemson player. And there were a couple of other times when I thought he could have planted a foot and really accelerated to that next gear. He's 90, 92, 94%, but he's not 100%. But I tell you what, a 90% Dalvin Cook is a pretty sweet back. Uh, He had a phenomenal game, and and I'm glad that he was able to do that on national TV and show the rest of the country what we've been uh, watching. We'll talk more about Dalvin and uh, Florida State football, also Florida State basketball, which uh, tips off this coming weekend. And and 28-5, 28 assists and five turnovers in the exhibition on Monday. Keith, you can spend the break and look through the media guide and tell me the last time Florida State went 28-5. and Well, not only that, just when's the last time Florida State's had back-to-back games? I know they're exhibition games, but back-to-back games with less than double-digit turnovers. And more than 100 points. Wow. Interesting. All right, we'll chew on that with Tim Linnefelt when we come back. This is the front row. We are just getting cranked up. Stay with us. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. It is time as we welcome you back for our Seminoles.com Insider Report. Tim Linnefelt is our Seminoles.com Insider. He joins us here as I remind you that you can catch Jimbo Fisher's postgame press conference streaming live immediately following every home game. And there is one of those this Saturday as North Carolina State comes to town for homecoming. And uh, you can catch much more on Seminoles.com as we say hello to Tim. I imagine you probably have a little bit of uh, soccer content, maybe some uh, men's and women's basketball content as well uh, up on the uh, site these days, Tim. Yeah, there's there's some up there now and more coming. It's good to be that time of year where everything's in full swing. Like you said, soccer began the NCAA tournament, men's women's basketball beginning their regular seasons, and football really entering the home home stretch. Yeah, right about that that two week mark before Thanksgiving, uh, there's a lot of balls in the air. So uh, it's it's a pretty fun time. I'm just going to suggest that I don't know that I've ever said what I'm about to, but if the if the football team could move the ball offensively the way the basketball team can, we'd be in pretty good shape right now. That basketball no, that, that basketball team is going to be fun to watch, Tim. No, they really, really are, and, and you know it's, it's it's tempting to fall into the trap of you know the exhibition games and taking too much from those. But I do think that there's some things we saw that that translate regardless of the opponent. You know, uh, as far as just skill and talent and shooting ability and and the things that they seem to have, and, and just the, I don't know, man, the overall excitement level that I think is, has really seemed to permeate the team and the veterans, which I think is a big deal. Because, you know, I think a lot of times when you have a, a senior-heavy team, when you, when you bring in a, a bunch of hot-shot freshmen, they, there might be a little bit of resentment there. But it doesn't seem to be any of that. And, and you know, I think players like to win, and I think they know they have a chance to. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really intrigued by this season. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think the better in-depth reporting from uh, the Seminole Insider would be the percentage change from Leonard's scowl to a smile during the course of the 40 minutes of action. <laughs> well, we're going to need a more sample size than just the, uh, the two exhibitions. Understood. I promise but, uh, we, we have detailed records and spreadsheets, and uh, it, it will be forthcoming. I no, no expense spared in coming up with that ratio, I'm sure. <laughs> We've got to put those GoPro cameras to use somehow. Exactly. Season opener for Leonard and uh, the men is 3 o'clock on Sunday at the Tuck. Got to get that place packed this year because this will be a fun team to watch. All right, let's let's talk uh, football, obviously. Uh, still sort of uh, decompressing after the Clemson game, Tim. Uh, we've talked about it, you and I. Keith and I just uh, broke it down in the first segment. And, I, you know, I guess the sentiment for most seems to be, uh, on the one hand, you're pleased that the team was there and the game was there for the taking in, in the middle of the fourth quarter. On the other hand, you're disappointed that uh, they couldn't make one or two more plays and they let that thing slip away. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a weird thing to say, but I, I, I sort of felt Saturday night that if they weren't going to win it and, and you know winning was going to be tough, and if they weren't going to win, I thought Saturday played out about as well as you could have hoped for. And I thought they, 
they played reasonably well, had some miscues that you're just going to expect when you're playing the number one team on the road at their place. But I thought they showed that they were, you know, if, if, if Clemson is the standard at number one, this Florida State team, which supposedly is in a transition year, is not far off of that standard. So I thought that was pretty encouraging. Um, I thought the defense played really well. They ended up giving up more than 500 yards of offense, but it really didn't feel like that during the game. And, and for about three and a half quarters there, uh, I thought they went toe-to-toe with really one of the more dynamic offenses in the country and, and more than held their own. And, just, you know, after a while, it, it, it's hard to keep, you know, coming back out and keeping your fingers in the dam, especially when Florida State's offense in the second half is having a hard time moving the ball and, and keeping possession. Tim, one of the things that jumped out of me after the uh, playoff com- selection committee came out with their picks last night was, you know, there's only one two-loss team ahead of Florida State in the rankings. In other words, Florida State with two losses is still considered one of the top squads at that level, uh, which I think speaks to how the rest of the country viewed the performance Saturday night, uh, Saturday afternoon rather, uh, at Clemson. Uh, In the limited time you've been around the kids this week uh, in terms of the polls and and getting past the disappointment and everything, what's, what's the conversation like sitting there with those two losses? Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that they're paying attention to the polls, and, and quite frankly, they probably don't need to right now. But, yeah, I, I think that they're disappointed, uh, especially given the way that those games win. I think if you would ask to a man uh, and they would respond to you to feel like they could have won both games, certainly the Georgia Tech game, uh, and then you know, when anytime you're in, you have the lead in the second half at Clemson, you, you feel like you've got a pretty good shot at that one, too. Uh, that said, and, you know, you guys that have been around this program for a long time can, I think, speak to this as well, is that, you know, and Jimbo said Saturday night that just because you don't win the national championship or don't go to the playoffs doesn't mean you can't have a successful season now. That doesn't mean you can't be disappointed when those things don't happen, and those are the goals and the standards. But if you look back at Florida State's run in 1987 to 2000, the, the dynasty years, you know, there were two national titles in that run. Uh and then while those are sort of the, the crown jewels of the dynasty era, the, the fact that they were able to win so many games and stay so highly ranked for, for all the seasons is, is really seen as what sets them apart from other national championship programs from that era. You know what I mean? And so I think they're looking at it from a perspective of they still have a lot to play for, uh, a 10-win season, a potential 11-win season. When taken a step back and viewed in context with the other seasons that they've had recently, it wouldn't look out of place. Does that make sense? Very much so. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that sentiment. Let, let me ask you this. As far as the quarterback goes, Tim, do you think it's going to be McGuire the rest of the way here, or how is this going to sh- uh, shake out? That's my guess. Uh, I, I wouldn't say sure. I, I'm not sure that they really know for sure, but that's, that would, I would think that would be the case. That said, it's hard for me to, to sit here and say that we won't see Everett Golson ever again this season. I, I don't know why. I don't know what the exact scenario would be, but I, I, would, uh, I would think more, often than, more likely than not that he'll take another snap before the season's over. Dalvin Cook, Keith and I were just starting to discuss him a little bit. First of all, health-wise, uh, both Jimbo and Dalvin say he's fine and he's as healthy as he's been, but I don't know anybody that's believing that. What's your, what's your thought on it? Do you think he's healthy? Well, you know, I, I think he feels good enough to play, uh, but I think you know, what you saw at the Clemson game makes you wonder about that. Uh, even on his first long touchdown run, the 75-yarder, you can see him slow down at about, I don't know, the 10 or 15-yard line as he's crossing the goal line. Uh, and he actually gets caught from behind and pulled down from behind, and he's crossing the goal line. And I think it, you know, Dalvin Cook at his healthiest and most explosive, uh, once he gets down the open field, I don't know that anybody's catching him from behind. Uh, same thing on a few of those later runs. I thought he had some uh, some some seams to burst through that he didn't just just didn't quite have that extra gear. There was one long run in particular where he was running sort of down the left sideline, and I, if he had cut a little bit to his left or even just kept going straight. He, he had the angle to the sideline, but instead he cuts back in and, and puts a shoulder into a, a Clemson defender. And, you know, maybe it was just a, a mistake, but, you know, Dalvin doesn't seem like the kind of player who makes a lot of mistakes with his vision and where he decides to go. And, and I just wonder if, if he knew that he just didn't have that extra gear to get to. And that's, that's not to say that he can't find it between now and this weekend, and it certainly isn't to say that he can't still be a very, very effective running back because, you know, he had almost 200 yards against Clemson, and um, and if that's him at less than 100 percent, then he's a lot better than a lot of running backs when they're 100 percent. But it's hard for me to look at you know what he did at the start of the season and, and just the little differences that you see in his game now and, and think that he's as healthy as he could be. 
Tim, is it fair from a criticism standpoint to wonder why the, the ball didn't get to Dalvin a couple of three times through the air? Uh, out and out in the flat, particularly in that fourth down play, maybe. Uh, and I know hindsight's always twenty twenty. We can critique anything that doesn't work, but uh, and 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 the fact that they didn't use him in the passing game more uh, might be indicative of the fact that they recognize he's not one hundred percent healthy. Yeah, maybe so. I, I honestly hadn't thought about that too terribly much. I'm actually surprised to see that. I, I wish I had the numbers right here in front of me. He hasn't been quite as involved in the passing game as, as I would have thought. Um, it, it's significant, but the, the, the vast majority of his total yards have come uh, from, from running plays. And, uh, and I don't know, you know, it's on third and one and fourth and one, I don't know that anybody will complain about handing the ball to, to Dalvin Cook. You wish it had worked out. I think most of us are surprised just for one yard that it didn't work out. But you know, there you go. You put the ball in the hands of your best player, and, and at some point you, know, you have to give some, some credit. Yeah, they made the plays. Do you think there's any shot that he makes it to New York for the Heisman? I do. I think he needs to have a big rest of the season. Uh, you know, a big game against NC State and Chattanooga obviously would be a chance to sort of pass your stats a little bit. And then if uh, the season ender at Florida, if, if Florida hasn't lost a game between now and then, they're going to be ten and one, probably you know, potentially ranked in the top five, uh, and you have a chance to really grab uh, grab the, the nation's attention on one of the last weekends before they decide that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think he has a chance. He, he's not there right now, and the fact that Florida State has two losses I think is working against him. But as, as more losses accumulate for more teams over these next two or three weeks, if he continues to, to play well and Florida State continues to win, I think he can get back in the mix. We spent a lot of time talking uh, in hindsight about the Clemson game. Uh, you know, Florida State uh, widely recognized as having struggled against NC State, particularly at Raleigh on Thursday nights. Uh, but this is a six and three Squolf Pack squad that's coming in with a quarterback that uh, has really found his rhythm. Um, I think everyone expects Florida State to play well, and, and certainly Florida State uh, Seminole Nation expects Florida State to win. But this is no givey, uh, gimme for homecoming on Saturday. No, it really isn't, and it's like you, you kind of alluded to it. If Florida State comes out and plays well, they shouldn't have a problem. But if they're sluggish, if they're still reeling from last week's game, you know, NC State has enough talent to put a scare into them, especially at the quarterback position. Jacoby Brissett, who had really just one of the games of his life against Florida State a year ago and threw for more than 300 yards, three touchdowns, and, and just was almost impossible to bring down, and that was you know, one of the first really scary games of the 2014 season. Uh, that said, you know, if you look at, at NC State's record, they are 6-3, and three, which, again, I don't mean to diminish that, but those wins have come against the likes of Troy, Eastern Kentucky, Old Dominion, South Alabama. Uh, you know, their, their losses have been to Louisville, Virginia Tech, and Clemson, which are probably the now, three. Now, wait a minute, Tim. Play. Those teams play tackle football, too. They do. They do. But it's just not <laughs> it's just worth mentioning. That's all. Understood. I think it's I think it's worth the proper context. And then and then the other side of that, I think, is that for as tough as NC State plays, Florida State at home uh, on the road at Doe Campbell Stadium has usually been a different story. I mentioned to Tom earlier this week, uh, I'll get your opinion on it. Based on the comments I've heard from Jimbo, unless he is just 100% coaches speak, the mood in the locker room after the Clemson game was not one of despair or anger. It was more disappointment. We're close. This is how close we are. If we prepare better, if we put more effort, if we're more concentrated, if we have better execution, we can beat the number one team in the country. I'm of the opinion this young squad might have turned the corner, if that is correct, in terms of the mental aspect of this, and they may very well come out and play extraordinarily well on Saturday. Your thoughts? It's definitely a possibility. It's definitely an option. And I think you know you have to look at there are reasons for motivation. I think there's some really significant seniors on this group, especially on the defensive course, that want to finish out on a high note. They don't want to be seen as the group that let the standards slip. You know what I mean? Uh, and obviously the ACC title is not going to happen. The college football playoff in all likelihood will not happen. But you know, we, we said earlier, being able to get the double-digit wins is, I think, important to them. For the uh, the freshmen, they had such a nice season. I think for them to take the next step and knowing that before long this season is going to turn into next season and they're going to be, you know, the guys, I, I think that's a motivating factor for them too. And, and so, yeah, I think I, it's fair to say they were disappointed after the Clemson game because – 
I think they felt like they could have done better for themselves. I think they felt like they were in position and just let it slip away. And, and you don't want to take anything away from Clemson because they're really good. And I thought I was impressed uh, at Clemson's ability to withstand that and, and finally put the game away because we haven't seen them able to do that against Florida State uh, very often. And so that was a big difference for them. But, but no, I think, yeah, if, you, if you're FSU, you look at it and say, like we said earlier, you're not far off of that standard. And if you, you know, keep playing that level and, and keep improving, you can really, I guess, be a program of significance at the end of the season uh, and one that generates the, the, the proper amount of buzz going into next season. Let's hope so. Quick question for you. We're going to have Mark Krikorian on uh, later in the show. Uh, your thoughts, is this a soccer team that's, uh, ca- I know it's capable of repeating. You think they can get that done? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and he might uh, he might not like it that, uh, that I said that. But, no, I think when you just look at the, the overall skill level they have, the talent that they have, and then the big thing, they have so many international players, and there were a lot of international breaks this year, a lot of times when various members of the team were with their national clubs for different qualifying tournaments and events and things like that. So it was actually pretty rare for Florida State to be at full strength this regular season, which is kind of odd. It's one of those weird things uh, about soccer. But now they, they have their full complement of players available and, and just a lot of talent. You saw that the, uh, the ACC tournament last weekend when they beat North Carolina and Virginia was the first time they'd all played together in quite a while. Well, the, the band is all together for the NCAA tournament, and, and given the results that we saw uh, last weekend, and they did beat Virginia, who was also a number one overall seed. If you can beat Virginia, you can beat anybody. So, yeah, I think there's absolutely every reason to think that they can repeat. Of course, that run starts uh, this weekend at home. We'll uh, talk more soccer later in the show. Tim, thanks as always. See you at uh, Doak on Saturday, if not before. Mm-hmm. We'll be there. Thanks, guys. It's our com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Uh, I'll remind you once more that uh, immediately following that NC State game, which kicks at 1230, you can uh, catch Jimbo's postgame presser when it streams live on Seminoles.com and then his Monday press conference as well. Plus, uh, you can also catch the terrific insight and uh, and commentary of one Tim Linnefelt. Well, and, and and one of the things that's interesting, and I can say this as the older guy, you know, uh, we, we first met Tim Seven years ago, eight years ago, was I with you when we met him? Is that why you're? I'm not recalling the exact time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Water, more water, please. Point being, he's gotten very good. We're going to need a lot more water during this break. We'll step aside and come back. This is the front row. No dark sarcasm in the classroom. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. And welcome back. It is the uh, time on the college sports calendar when there is a lot of overlap going on we talked about that with tim linnefeld keith you got basketball season tipping off football season still going strong and soccer is headed to the postseason which is no surprise uh, for florida state and we're pleased to welcome uh, fsu's coach k mark krikorian to the program coach how are you yeah doing good tom how you doing doing great uh, congratulations uh, on another uh terrific season back to back to back acc champs and uh, that was a well literally a shootout but it was a dogfight to get past virginia on sunday it sure was i'll tell you it was two very challenging games the the carolina game on friday night was was a really intense and, and hard battle and then to come back and play virginia on sunday it was uh uh, really a very challenging weekend and now you're set up as a number one seed to uh to play at home and uh, and not have to leave home before you get to the college cup uh just talk about how significant that is uh and obviously you've got to win you know one at a time but but just to know you're at home as as the tournament starts this weekend well as you know tom i mean we just have fantastic support here and you know with uh, such a great facility and uh it's a it, our kids are so comfortable playing here that it's a huge advantage to us. So we're thrilled that the uh, committee thought enough of us to uh, to give us number one seed and the opportunity to be at home um, if we continue to win. Coach, we had uh, Tim Lenefelt from Seminoles.com on in our prior segment, and he talked about I- I'd like for our listeners to maybe get educated a little bit from the standpoint uh, you have begun recruiting, continue recruiting internationally, and, and a lot of your kids 
actually are away sometimes during the season. This past weekend, you were at quote-unquote full strength. Explain to our our listeners how that comes about and and, and how that works and what that means now that you're going forward. So through the course of the regular season, they're called different international dates. And on these international dates, the different national teams have a right to call players in uh, to represent their countries. And we have five or six players that are all playing for their different national teams. Uh, as In addition, we do have some U.S. national team players, youth national team players. So when these national team dates are, are determined, well, we know that uh, the national team may call different players in, and we may have to go without them for different uh, games. So, uh, for example, when we played Duke early in the ACC schedule, uh, we had five of our um, international players all gone representing their countries um, and playing um, in, in World Cup qualification or European qualification matches. So it can be a little bit challenging managing the, the team and the roster through that segment of the, uh, of the year. Is that upside worth it? Uh, I know you've embraced it, but how, how does the soccer community view it? Well, I think that it, uh, everyone has a different opinion. You know, some of my colleagues, uh, they want players of that caliber, but they're not really as supportive of them going home and playing for their national teams, and it can become a little bit of a challenge uh, uh, dealing with national team coaches. For us, I think most of these national team coaches feel very good about the, the development that their players are getting here at Florida State, and that's why they continue to support them being here, and they know my philosophy is to support their players playing with the national team. So it can be challenging, but you know, at the end of the day, it also builds our depth. So while we were missing those five players for such an important game against such a good team like Duke, uh, it gave five other kids an opportunity to get in and play significant minutes against a top 10, top 15 team which hopefully will help us as we get into this NCAA tournament. You mentioned the, the, the home field advantage, playing at home, sleeping in your own beds. Your team has unbelievably responded to that home field advantage in NCAA tournament play. It is a huge advantage for your squad. It sure has been. So historically, we feel very good uh, that uh, when we've been able to play at home, uh, typically we've been able to find a result. Uh, but, um, you know, it's a different year. It's a different team. It's a different um, – uh, circumstances, but I can tell you there's no team in the country that's more confident going into games when we're playing at home. Well, you're being very kind. If I read the record correctly, you've you've won 35 of your last 36 home matches, and the other one was a tie. Did I read that correctly? That's, that's I'm a- not sure. That could be. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, kudos to you for not tooting your own horn, Coach. We'll go ahead and do it for you, though. I mean, and I for, is this the eleventh year or twelfth year, Coach, that you've been here? This is my eleventh season. This is eleventh. So Keith, in his ten previous years, Florida State soccer's finished in the top ten, and they've made the Elite Eight every year of the tournament. I mean, so this is really what you've done. I mean, to compare it to football and what FSU did, we were talking about this earlier in the show in the eighties and nineties. I mean, you've set up a dynasty that way, which is to your credit. And I know there was a pretty good foundation when you got here. So congratulations. Uh, uh, on that, I, I want to go back to to this. Uh, you know, the the international players and and being away. You mentioned that it does build depth. One thing that it could hinder is is how you build chemistry. And and I'm just curious uh, when you have parts and pieces missing at times. Uh, in other words, not necessarily the first eleven you would put out there. You're going to put out there this week. How do you work to 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 try and fast track that chemistry of playing together? You know, that's a great question, Tom. And I think that we've created a very professional environment in the, around our team. And, um, you know, part of, uh, you know, most of the kids that come here want to play as professional players when they finish and uh, want to go on and have uh, an opportunity to be in national teams and, and so on. And, you know, the this sort of environment that we've created is very much like a professional environment because, you know, if, if you look at the pro- professional men's leagues around the world, or the professional women's leagues around the world, it happens all the time. Players are called up for different competitions, and then the team has to survive without them. And other players, uh, their roles change, and then they change back. So I think that we have great kids in our program. It's a highly intelligent group of young women. The team grade point average is nearly a 3.5. And we're, I'm very direct with them. I mean, I, I, I explain to them in the recruiting process how things are done here and that um, you know, it will be a very challenging environment, that we have top players from throughout the world that are going to be here. Uh, we talk a little bit about call-ups, and I let them know that uh, if a player is called up, I'm going to support that call-up, whether it's an American kid or an international kid. Um, so in essence, while we certainly treat every player as an individual, um, you know, those sort of situations we, we do treat uh, uh, pretty much uh, everyone alike. 
And I think to that same point, uh, while our football-dominated listeners might be one, okay, you recruit at the high schools and you bring them in, you you recruit not only United States but but worldwide. I mean, you you've had a reach that has been phenomenal in bringing kids in from all parts of the world and and bringing them together. Talk a little bit about that that international flavor that continues to dominate uh, Florida State soccer. Well, as you know, soccer is the world game, right? I mean, everyone knows that uh, some of the best soccer, certainly on the men's side, is played in all all different regions of the world. And on the women's side, of course, our U.S. national team is, is really good. But there's a lot of countries that are really good. And, you know, last year we were fortunate to have a, a player that was a four-year player and, uh, you know, one of the top kids with Dagny Brynjö's daughter from Iceland of all places. So, you know, when you look at our roster, you see that it is, uh, a collection of kids from everywhere, and, and that includes Texas and uh, California, and uh, um, you know all Florida, of course. But also, you know, we have a kid from, or a couple of kids from Finland and Iceland, and uh, we've had Japanese kids, we have Australian kids, we have Irish kids. Uh, it, it doesn't matter to us. My my philosophy is really simple: if you're a good soccer player, if you're a good student, and you're a good person, uh, this may be a good uh, location for you. So. Uh, we're not uh, we're not uh, discriminating against anyone, and uh, if uh, if they sh- share in each of those three qualities, then this may be home. Coach, I'm curious in terms of the environment at Florida State. Now you've been here, uh, you know, more than a decade, and you had an awful lot of success before you came to FSU. But the coaches that are on staff in the athletics department, I mean, Jimbo, you know, just won a national title. Mike Martin competes for them. Trey Jones and the golf team are at that level. Sue has her women's team in the Elite Eight. Bob Brayman's won national titles. I'm curious if there's one coach in particular or if you study, uh, you know, either their philosophies or their practices or pick up any things from what they do with their teams and then have applied them uh, with your your team. Well, I sure do. Um, You know, one of the – the things that's geographically convenient is uh, the football practice fields are, you know, 50 yards from, from my office. So it's really easy for me on, on my off days to get out and watch Coach Trickett and watch, um, you know, some of the different coaches in their teaching styles. And, you know, Jimbo's been very generous in, in sharing time and ideas and so on with me and with us. And, you know, I do certainly consider Sue Samarow a, a very good friend and I've uh, certainly uh, sought her counsel at different times. And, you know, the basketball coaches and, and many of these different coaches, I think that we have a very strong and healthy relationship of support for each other and uh, you know, Lonnie with the softball program as well. So, you know, when, when I look at it, um, we know that we have great support from within, uh, which isn't always the case in different college uh, environments. But, um, you know, stealing different pieces, I've had a chance to go over and watch uh, some of the video that uh, the basketball does in their teachings and um, and, and for me, I think uh, it's a great opportunity to learn from others that are exceptional. And, you know, there's no bigger fan of Mike Martin in our baseball program than me. I think those guys have been exceptional for a long, long time, long before I arrived here. And their consistency and excellence is uh, I marvel at. I, I hope that, uh, at, you know, if I'm here as long as they are, that we've won as much as they have and, uh, and continue to conduct ourselves as as those guys are. Coach, one last quick question. It may be a totally naive question, so you can smack me next time we have lunch on Friday at the community table. But do do you ever, your ladies ever go up against guys in practice like Sue does with her 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 her, her ladies on the on the basketball court? Is that something that's done in soccer at all? Yeah, we do have five or six male practice players that do join us. Uh, through the course of the week uh, for some different training. So, yeah, that is uh, that is another um, a benefit that we have and uh, having some really good – they're very, very good players and they're good guys, and they come in and they train with us, and uh, it helps to raise the speed and the level of the game. Cool, cool. Coach, you get Evansville uh, Friday night, and uh, best of luck to you as you get into the NCAA tournament again. Congratulations on the success you've had so far, and uh, I know there's much more to come. Guys, I sure do appreciate your time and, and your support, so thank you for that. All right, that is FSU head soccer coach uh, Mark Krikorian, good guy, and obviously a soccer aficionado who's uh, – he really has built a dynasty here. Let me tell you, that, that, that whole concept of going and recruiting internationally is such a small segment and such a specialized segment. His ability to, to work with those programs and know those programs and, and to have the reputation to bring those kids you know, across the seas, the pond, whatever you want to call it here – 
you cannot underestimate the significance. Well, of that. And, and some of that is uh, it's a style of play too. Correct. You know, compared Correct. to what you get, and we didn't we didn't get into that uh, that much. But he he really has done a great job. Wish him the best of luck. Seven o'clock Friday night uh, against Evansville is when the soccer Seminoles uh, start defense of their title. Uh, by the way, if you don't follow soccer closely, two years ago Florida State lost in the College Cup final. Then last year they won the College Cup. So I mean, they're literally we talk about football one play here. They're literally one play away from back to back national titles as they start this. For you, run. for you football guys or basketball guys, uh, that the Final Four or the, the national championship, the College Cup is what we call it. Exactly, it's called right. in soccer. All right, there's still more to come, and uh, we'll get to that after we do this here on the front row. Let's go. Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. I'm sure that most of you uh, make it a habit each and every Wednesday night to sit by your radio, you know, with the old dial tune, Keith's Keith generation potentially, and listen to us. Uh, as this airs live each and every week. But for those of you who don't, I do want to remind you that the front row is available on demand after every week's show through two convenient methods. One, you can uh, go to ESPNTallahassee.com and under the Audio Vault drop-down menu, simply click on the front row. Or you can subscribe to our podcast via iTunes. This uh, portion of the program is uh, presented by the Flying Bear Great American Grill. It's uh, out Thomasville Road in uh, Uptown Tallahassee, as we've talked about I still previously. Got, I've got to get used to saying that. Yeah, I don't know that it's caught on all that much, but uh, but the Flying Bear has caught on. It's a good place to go. Very much. Uh, tell Brian that we sent you uh, head out there, left side, uh, just past Walmart. Free plug there like that company needed it. But uh, anyway, <laughs> that's where it is. Have a good time. They're open uh, 11 to 9, Monday to Friday, or Monday through Thursday, and 11 to 10. Uh, on the weekends. Uh, Keith, a lot to react to here as uh, we, we jammed up a couple of segments there with uh, Tim and uh, Coach K. Uh, let's work immediately backwards. Uh, Coach Krikorian, uh, and there's a big soccer following in Tallahassee and, and a lot of people that do play soccer. What he has done has been astounding. Uh, to go to the elite, think about that in, in basketball terms. If you took your team to the Elite Eight every year, I'm not, you know, on top of being in the top 10, he's uh, actually physically advanced in the playoffs to the Elite Eight every row. year. Yeah. 11 years in a row of, of, of an Elite Eight appearance. And again, not to belabor the point, but I think his reach, where he comes from, from a background standpoint, as you've talked about, the style of play that uh, he engages in, uh, the the international people know who he is, know where Tallahassee is, and and he's got uh, the ability to draw those uh, international kids in and still maintain the ability to recruit the elite of of the US squad and and putting those together and, and well he he's, was, he's just a neat guy to be he, around he was uh I guess politically correct in how he answered that question, but there's some coaches who they're not going to take a girl who's going to leave during the season to go correct. play. They want them so 100% as, yeah, of the time. So it sort of opens up uh, the the international players. They know that if they come here, they're going to get a chance to return, and so it get it gets them. So it's smart, and in, in my opinion, no works question. I didn't get into this with him, and we'll get back to football here. But a couple of weeks ago, they lost a game to Virginia. Obviously not the ACC tournament final, and it was a it was a ter- it may have even been the Sunday after the Duke Miami debacle on the football field, maybe it was the previous weekend. It was a terrible call. They called a, a handball on a girl who was defending the back line. Well, cutting to the quick, uh, so it led to a penalty kick. They lost the game one nothing. Then they had to play shorthanded the remaining seventy minutes. And the way the rule works, because it was a red card for an intentional handball in the box, she had to miss the next game. So you, I wanted to ask him about you talk about review. Now, I'm not in favor, as we argued last week, in changing the result. But at the very least, the conference should be able to look at that and say, yeah, it didn't hit her hand. She's not going to be forced to sit out the next game. But so anyway. In other words, make it like a targeting rule. At least you can review the red cards. Point being, there's officiating issues at all sports at all levels. But, uh, you know, he wouldn't have been able to say anything really uh, on the record about that probably anyway. So he didn't go that way. All right. Let's go back to the Dalvin Cook conversation about getting him to uh, New York. Not that uh, you and I can do this. And, And even separate whether, I mean, there's, you know, the way the Heisman votes work you have to have been a name at the start of the season and clearly Leonard Fournette was there and now Henry from Alabama is there after Fournette's performance last week and Henry's performance I think Cook you know he had the off-field thing even though he was acquitted in 28 minutes or whatever there's a there's sort of a general to me 
FSU fatigue nationally. I mean, it's it's Jameis. It's been FSU. I mean, I think you'd really have to be, you know, your numbers would have to be through the roof to 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 get beyond that a little bit. And then you have the fact that he's been off the radar. Having said that, and I've watched Fournette play a lot. I haven't watched Henry play a ton or the Stanford kid. I'm not sure I wouldn't take Dalvin Cook over all of them. Uh, I know he's been hurt, but he's going to break Warwick Dunn's record with three games to go, basically. Well, I, I think if you were to script what needs to happen, you know, first of all, Florida State needs to win the three remaining games. I don't think he gets to New York if he plays on a team that has three losses. Now, I know it's an individual award, but that's just the way reality is. Second of all, his next national spotlight is going to be the Florida game. So he needs to have an outstanding performance in the Florida game just from a numerical standpoint. And then the third thing that I think needs to happen is is one or two of the front runners, whether it's Fournette or anybody else, needs to continue to stumble. I mean, I, I think realistically Dalvin is probably sixth or seventh right now today on the pecking order he can only move up so much on think, his own initiative i think he was eighth on the heisman odds that came out by whatever casino yeah, did that. okay of, and of the I, so, ranked, so he was i may at be, to one, i yeah. may even be a little a little uh, overly uh, optimistic but the point being he can only elevate himself so much uh, one or two of the guys up at the front have kind of got to disqualify themselves through poor performance and of course that can happen and i'm not knocking for net at all but he only had 31 yards last time out oh yeah by the way it was alabama and they did lose i get that but but uh it could happen it's a stretch probably even qualifies a long shot that he gets there uh speaking of uh being in new york but it's not beyond the realm of possibility he certainly will be set up to be on the heisman list at the start of without next year. question uh, with Florida State's offense. And think about this too, Tommy. You know, he's 12 yards away from from uh, Warwick's record, and and there's probably not a more beloved athlete in Florida State lore than than Warwick Dunn. He, he's certainly one of the top five. Who? And 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 there's a part of me that doesn't want that record broken. But at the same time, if that record's going to be broken, I want that record shattered. I, I want Dalvin to get to 1,500, 1,600, 1,700 yards. That's probably unrealistic, but but I, I want it shattered because Warwick still holds the, the, the four-year record at 3,900, and Dalvin's probably not going to play as a senior, so it's going to be a stretch for him to get there as a junior. That'll still be in play. So we'll give him the season record. We'll let Warwick keep the overall record, well, and we'll all be happy. That one, that we, you know, playing more games, that that – career record will come into play next year too it will but maybe yeah uh so a couple things on that i recall i don't remember which game it was it might have i think it might have been the national title game against auburn i don't remember if that's when Devonte freeman went over a thousand yards and at that time he was the first back to do it since warwick had done it so i made a comment to warwick on the sideline about that and he said yeah but he played four more games or whatever like oh, warwick, they warwick. know and, they know and then i saw warwick at the georgia tech game and, uh, you know, at this, he said, well, as far as Cook goes, he said he's going to break all my records. Uh, but, but Cook this year, his, he missed the Syracuse game. He missed 95% of the Wake Forest game because he got two touches. The Boston College game in the second half, I'd have to count up touches, but he had bruised sternum, bruised ribs, and really wasn't a factor there. So he's missed two-plus games. Uh, he still has three games to go, plus a bowl game, which will count. And he's at, what, 1238 right now or something? Something like that. 1700 is not out of the realm of possibility with four games to go, Keith, if, if he holds up. And that's why it's the exact opposite, Tommy. When, when, you play, when you play a game and you lose, you want it to be a close game. You asked me that earlier. When you hold a record... You want the person that exceeds your record to blow past you. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to forever be two yards short. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, just to wrap up this Heisman conversation, the other interesting thing is the way that uh, the Heisman votes are regionalized, if you will. So out west, uh, the Stanford running back is going to get a lot of a lot of carry, and you know, in in the in the Texas area, whatever you know, I don't know. What they call the South region. I don't know what the regions are. Your TCU quarterback is going to be up there, and so then you get to the Southeast, and you're going to have this Fournette. Henry, Dalvin, Cook. They're all going to cancel each other out. Clemson quarterback kind of – it's going to be interesting. Clemson's quarterback should probably be on that list too because I – we don't have a lot of time. Maybe we can spend the last couple minutes on this. I want to see Clemson – not every FSU fan shares this opinion. I want to see Clemson do well at this point, make the playoff – win something it'll help the the overall image of the league if somebody else besides fsu did something but i'm not convinced 
that that Clemson team is elite offensively. Uh, I think Tim referred to him as dynamic. I think their quarterback is, but I don't think at the receiver position, they're, they're certainly not as elite as when they had Sammy Watkins and DeAndre Hopkins and those kind of guys. And I'm not convinced they're going to beat North Carolina in the ACC championship. You game. mentioned that uh, when we were talking earlier in the week uh, before we, we got here at the studio and, and, and started the show. And I really hadn't processed that. I really hadn't thought about that much. But but uh, as I think about what uh, Marquise has been able to do, the quarterback for UNC, and I think about how uh, offensively they've been able to generate uh, plays and, and, and maintain drives. That you know the problem with that hurry up offense is if you go three and out a whole bunch, you know you're running forty or fifty seconds off of the clock. The other team gets extended drives. Your defense well well Carolina's running the hurry up and they're holding on to the ball and scoring. You know, putting up 60 points is not uncommon well, for them. So it, it, it may very well be that the Clemson-UNC game is going to be a much bigger, tighter well, game than, than anybody would give credit to. I think it jumped out to me, and I haven't watched a lot of Carolina, but I saw the stat that in terms of yards per play last 10 years, the top team was FSU in 2013 and Baylor was second in 2013. And third out of the last decade is this Carolina team. They can move the ball. So it's anyway, plus how about this? Clemson, North Carolina, they'll actually be demand – for an ACC championship game ticket with that game in Charlotte. I mean, tickets will actually probably be pricey for a change for that one. What you're admitting to is the fact that, and I, I echo and agree with you, we have both hit uh, certainly middle age of broadcasting from the standpoint that, that if we can't be the conference leader, we're going to pull for the conference leader and or the conference in general because once the, once the water rises, all ship ships rise it's the it's the sec mentality not bull <laughs> we'll come back and wrap this up after this this is the front row Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. All righty, we're back, and uh, Keith, you just got your best deal the Hobson way, I understand. Can we hurry this along? I want to be out of here. Okay. We've got two minutes to go. Uh, yes. I uh, I uh, got a brand new uh, Silverado from uh, Bob and, and Austin up in uh, Cairo. And I, A, recommend it highly. And B, can we be done? I'd like to get back in and drive it. And and C, we're now committed to do this show with uh, Hobson as the sponsor until what year, 2094 or something like that? Not that long, but, <laughs> but close to it. Okay. Uh, I feel like we'd be remiss if um, – we didn't mention two things. We were talking about Warwick Dunn. Well, Warwick's going to be here this weekend to give the side talk, and uh, that's kind of fitting that assuming Dalvin plays and gets 12 yards, that Warwick will be in attendance when his record gets broken. And secondly, Coach Bowden is going to be back this weekend and, and be honored as well. And I hate to put it this way, but, I, you know, one of these days he's not going to be back at a game. So anytime that happens, I think we need to appreciate it. Very much so. Uh, Bobby turned 86 uh, this month, month of November. Uh, I had the opportunity for him to come and visit at our church, Thomas Road Baptist Church, uh, a couple weeks ago uh, during both of the morning services. He looked great. He sounded great. Uh, he is great, and it's great that he's back. Yeah, and uh, of course it was two years ago against NC State when he came back for the first time, and Florida State put 35 on the board in the first quarter with uh, Jameis and company. I, I don't know that I'm predicting 35 in the first quarter for FSU this week. I don't think that many, no. <laughs> Hopefully, though, as they are at home, we see the the home offense, which uh, averages around 40 points instead of the uh, road offense. Yeah, as we wrap up, I mean, I, re- I really expect this Florida State squad on all three dimensions, uh, defense, offense, and kicking game. I-, I think this is going to be a pretty good, cool breakout game i think the loss to clemson woke some of these young kids up to what the potential is if they will continue to work prepare and execute let's hope so i hope you're right he's keith i'm tom we'll talk to you again next week have a great week everybody 